And finally, the nominees for Best Picture voted by all members of the Academy are... Okay. Ready? Ready. The Father. Judas and the Black Messiah. Mank. Minari. Nomadland. Promising Young Woman. Sound of Metal. And last, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Woo! Well, I am already strategizing my Oscars pool. Congratulations to all of these incredible nominees. Wow, what a year. And thank you for joining us and watch the Oscars live on Sunday, April 25th, only on ABC. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And today we are joined again by our special guest, Bennett Prosser, to discuss the Oscar nominations that just came out this morning. We'll be going into the good, the bad, the chaotic. But first, welcome back, Bennett. Hey, guys. Uh, Merry Christmas, and thanks for... (laughs) having me um i got a text reminder this morning during the nominations uh from my acupuncturist saying that i had an appointment this afternoon and i was like both thank you i will need it and not now i will talk to you later Um, (laughs) so hopefully we can get rid of any stress that i might have via our conversation today and i can just cancel that appointment stress from the past week weeks months predicting and this morning was definitely some relief. Yes, I think we had some crazy nominations too, but we expected that as always. I was fairly happy overall. I know we have some snubs that we'll go over, but generally in a good headspace. How about you guys? Overall, I was pleasantly surprised with these nominations. Most of the ones that I was really worried might happen didn't end up happening. And some of the surprises ended up being good ones. So we'll get into what I mean by that, I think, a little later on. But yeah, just a weird year, a very long season. So I was very happy that we finally got these nominations this morning. And now we have six more weeks. Six long weeks as the snow thaws and we like approach summer of really the longest season I don't know if ever, but definitely of our lifetimes, or at least of our like Oscar awareness. So yeah, I'm excited for this period to be done, but it's going to be a long month and a half ahead. For sure. At least out of all of this, Parasite has been, I think, the longest running Best Picture winner. Yeah. Not Maintaining a bad the thing. mantle. Yeah. So let's run through the nomination tallies. So Mank led the way with 10 nominations, which I think was what we were expecting. A good size haul for Mank. Six films actually had six nominations each. So The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Then we had Promising Young Woman and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with five, and Soul with three, So looking at this group and thinking about this year, is there anything that stands out to you guys about some of these movies or some omissions maybe? What do you think? I think the first thing after hearing this list read out is that the top eight were the Best Picture nominees. So I think that alignment, I guess, should be telling. 
for what was to come before we had heard everything. We expected Mank to have the most. I had it getting 13, so it didn't end up getting everything that it could have. It didn't get visual effects, original screenplay, or film editing. But I think overall it was pretty loved among the guilds, just maybe a little less so than we had initially expected. Yeah, I think Mank's an interesting one where we saw it it picked up a lot of the crafts that we expected it to, but still missed in some of the kind of major categories like film editing and screenplay, like you mentioned, that are usually for a nomination leader like that, usually kind of the hallmark of a film that could win Best Picture or has a better shot at it. So for Mink to be kind of the far and away nomination leader, but still not get those major kind of prerequisite nominations is a little surprising. Yeah, and then thinking about the calendar too, some of these films, like if we think about Minari and Promising Young Woman, I know we've talked about those. They came out last Sundance, and this year we had this big, long, extended window, and I think we all wondered what that could mean for this year's Oscar season, and it turns out that really only Judas and the Black Messiah was the late breaker to get into that Best Picture lineup. What do you guys make of maybe changes to the calendar, or if we even needed the extended window. So I don't remember exactly when the Academy made the decision to push the eligibility window and nomination and ceremony dates, but there's some credit that I give them in that they couldn't have known that even a ceremony in April was going to be just at the wrong date. too early for everyone to be vaccinated and things to be back to normal and we're back to a full typical broadcast and a little too late in the year for just the amount of time that we're waiting for it and how long the season feels. But I do think that not much came out of pushing the window, except maybe more time for them to figure out the ceremony or how to do the broadcast. Obviously, Judas and the Black Messiah was one that came through, but I wonder if the eligibility window had not been pushed if Warner Brothers and Shaka King and everyone involved in that project in post-production still could have made it out and finished it in time even if the window didn't uh, delay or they would have just held it for maybe the fall festivals this year so I think that's the only one that and Andrew Day getting the nomination for Billie Holiday but I think same situation that Maybe the studios would have just changed when they released it if the eligibility window hadn't changed. I think my one comment on the calendar here just relates to something that didn't happen that was maybe a little bit expected was the little things being on the later end of the calendar, being released by Warner Brothers basically at the very end of the window and Mm -hmm. being on the shortlist having that Jared Leto SAG nomination. So it is kind of surprising that it didn't show up anywhere today. We're on the same wavelength because I was just thinking that the scary part about this delay and with the extended window was that we feared that the little things would be Academy Mm -hmm. Award nominee, the little things. And now we don't have to say that anymore. (laughs) It's just the little things. Other than Judas and the Black Messiah, maybe that's what the increased window, eligibility window, gave us was fear. Fear of the little things, fear of unknowns like the Mauritanian and I Care A Lot, just other 
things that the Globes went for, all that stuff came late breaking and won there. It just instilled like the fear of God in all of us that mm-hmm. Jared Leto would make it. But alas. So as we go through some of our favorite moments, some of the not so great moments, we just want to remind you that we will be doing and continuing our Oscar Contenders series where we talk about each of the 23 categories in different episodes. So we won't be going nomination by nomination. We'll be doing more general themes, but definitely come back for the Contender series to hear more about what we think is likely to win the Oscar. So starting out with the good from this morning, which there was a lot of, in the acting category for Best Actor, we had Steven Yoon and Riz Ahmed getting in, which is huge. So Steven became the first Asian American to be nominated for Best Actor, and Riz became the first person of Pakistani descent for any acting category. This was great. I just thought to myself, I was like, there's no way that we get Steven and Riz, like both of them, especially... I feel like I've just been so burned in the past by the Academy leaving Steven Yeun out, especially for burning. I just, Mm -hmm. it stuck with me and I was so worried about it this year, but having both of them here, two of my favorite performances of the year was so exciting. I think it was really exciting for two young men of color whose stature in the industry have been growing a lot over the past five to 10 years, both having success in TV and in movies and kind of appearing in a lot of great films and building their CV and then finally getting big leading roles that got a lot of attention this year. So I think Stephen and Riz getting in uh, was very exciting and a nice kind of image of where I think looking into this coming decade, kind of what are we looking for out of our actors who kind of the next maybe like generation can be of, of the, the people who kind of carry the mantle, like, Sure, Gary Oldman's in there, but let's like like let's focus on kind of like the younger set coming in is a lot more exciting than maybe the the older set that's moving out. So we didn't mention Chadwick Boseman. I think that's because that to me was the clear lock. I think for all of us in the category, mm-hmm. but important to note too, a black actor nominated in the best actor category is always, I think, important to point out. And additionally, he is the front runner. So it was good to see him there, even though I think Mm -hmm. we all expected it to happen. Absolutely. Another really exciting thing that happened, we had two women nominated for Best Director. Both Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell made it in. The total number of women who've been nominated for Best Director went from five to seven today. You now need two hands to count them, (laughs) which (laughs) is always great. You know, it took forever. And obviously, I'd like to get to the point where it's way more than that. But Mm -hmm. I think a very good stride. And of course, no Aaron Sorkin. I had this feeling he would not make it in and he would be the one on the outs. I know we were counting on Chloe, but I'm glad that Emerald got in and it was another woman who made it into that slot. And it's exciting that if Regina King was close to getting mm-hmm. nominated, that there was even a additionally a third woman who was truly in the running. And mm-hmm. I predicted to get in, and I think a lot of other people probably did too, that it wasn't a limited conversation just to the, the two women directors who did get nominated, but there is also a wealth of those who didn't. 
And I am happy that we don't need to pretend that Sorkin is a good director anymore. <laughs> I, I hope that his not getting the nomination here is a way to dissuade him from directing his own screenplays. I don't want this to become a, you know, Sorkin becomes overdue for a director nomination or like it's his time to finally be recognized <laughs> as a director. That is, we need to squash that narrative early mm -hmm. and he just need, this needs to be evidence that he should stick to writing and have someone else direct his screenplays. We don't want to encourage him. Two other good categories that came out were the actress and supporting actress categories. I think they both ended up being not really surprises in who made it in. I think especially an actress, kind of the five mm -hmm. who we all expected to get in did, but I'm not upset about a single one of them. I think that they are all good deserving, like a real variety of nominees there. And then in supporting actress, as stressful as that category was throughout the season, especially in the last month or so leading up to it where there were nine feasible nominees that you, you, you just took them out of a hat and it you had a case for any of them. Mm -hmm. I think the five that we ended up with did end up being the safest five maybe going in, the five that made the most sense. And whereas the other four were kind of the wild cards that were thrown in just to mess us all up. But with supporting actress though, I th think it is important to take a step back and think more about the fact that Maria Bakalova got nominated. An unknown Bulgarian actress doing improv in a Borat sequel. I don't think, sight unseen, anyone would predict that the Borat sequel would get any Oscar attention, but the fact that she especially would end up getting a nomination for what I think is a really great performance. So these two categories were actually two of my five for fives, which was great. Didn't have that many of them. But I think Amanda being in here is actually a bit of a shocker. Obviously a good one. And I feel like maybe she did get in over Dominique, say, because she was in the movie more. And maybe it came down to something as simple as that. But I think with Maria, you're totally right. Had we looked at all of this before the season... There's no way anyone would have thought, oh, this supporting actress from a Borat sequel. She ended up winning Critics' Choice and is maybe the frontrunner for the Oscar. Insane. Yeah, it's really exciting. I think just thinking about Maria, I was a naysayer for a while. I kept thinking like, no, there's no way this can happen. The Academy is just, they're going to return to their roots of voting for women crying in dramas or being a supportive mother they're not going to go for this unknown actress in a bro comedy doing like raunchy gross improv comedy which is so much fun to watch i rewatched this actually the other day and just appreciated the performance so much more and i know we both predicted her on our last episode but i know a lot of people were still kind of counting her out to the end and I think either argument makes sense, right? Including her because she has all these precursors or not including her because you are looking at history. But it turns out that this really was just the first time something like this, I think, has ever happened in an acting category, specifically this one. That was the mistake that I made. I predicted that she'd miss it. And I was mostly just looking off of history and 
the trends of the category, uh, but clearly they liked Borat more than I mm-hmm. thought they would. It getting an adapted screenplay, it's in the PGA list, that I think if it had not had as much support overall, then maybe I think she might have missed, but clearly it did. So for supporting actress, I didn't pick Amanda, even though I love that performance so much in my predictions because she missed SAG. And there was this wild stat about Jodie Foster, a.k.a. the Golden Globe winner in the category. And this actually is the first time since 1976 that the Golden Globe winner in Best Supporting Actress has missed the Oscar lineup. Again, a strange year. So another Golden Globe streak actually is with Best Actress, and I've mentioned this before, it's either Globe Actress winner goes on to win the Oscar. And that's been true for the past 11 years. And then in the past 53 years, it's only missed 10 times. So I think the more recent streak is more telling, obviously. So that would put Andre Day as our Oscar frontrunner, which is not unheard of. I still haven't seen this, so I can't really comment on it. So I've seen it, and I know I've mentioned this before, but she is really good at it. She gives a really good performance in a bad movie, which can be said of a lot of nominees over the years. But I think another thing we do have to consider, the past two years in lead actor and lead actress, we've had at least one of the winners be from a biopic playing a musician. And she fits, like Rami Malek, like Renee Zellweger, so it would not be unheard of. So next up for the good, finally, we saw Paul Racy get in supporting actor for Sound of Metal. He's very happy here. I can't believe it happened finally. My one place where I've put him in my predictions, besides Critics' Choice, it happened. You know, I'd been denying him all season. I almost had a freak out and took him out of my Oscar predictions, but I left him in, and I'm so glad that I did. What a deserved supporting performance Mm -hmm. it is what i think of when i think of the category he has just a very subtle beautiful performance and the second i watched this movie i was like oh you know in a dream world he would be a best supporting actor nominee but when i watched the movie i didn't think anything or anyone from this movie would get nominated (laughs) so this was such a wonderful surprise i think it's the best of of the acting nominees it's maybe the the nicest kind of word of mouth film and performance that just Mm -hmm. people were talking about how good it was and there wasn't fanfare around him other than people kind of beating the drum online. But it's maybe the only supporting actor in that entire lineup. And I'm really happy to see that he got in there. And then also I think a good thing, Minari. So Minari is another film that, you know, on paper at the beginning of the season, I think it had some good buzz early on, like people who had seen it really early loved it. But to have it go all this way, to be a movie about a Korean-American family and coming from A24 was just not something that I expected. I think my cynicism got in the way, but a pleasant surprise. was so excited to see that Emil Mosseri got the score nomination. We, of course, had Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, So many nominations for this beautiful little film. Okay, so now the bad things that happened this morning. (laughs) Starting out, we're going to clump all of the shorts together. I had seen a lot of these leading up to today. I wanted to try to predict them. 
And this is maybe where I did the worst this morning, which was very disappointing. I think there were some amazing shorts this year and a lot of them didn't show up. So when I was going through my gold derby this morning, I was like, ooh, this is good. Like I have five out of five here, four out of five here, scrolling through, like very proud of myself. And then I got to shorts and it was like two out of five, (laughs) just absolutely tanked. And I don't know if watching them would have helped me. I usually save the shorts for after nominations when I can watch them all together kind of as a collection, but not what I was expecting here, just from what I'd read about these. And Nick, I think you're the only one of the three of us who watched most of them. So I'm curious from your perspective, were the ones that you predicted that didn't make it in, was it quality (laughs) that was the differentiator? Or were there other things that you think they went for that you didn't expect? When I was watching, I was kind of thinking, okay, what has like the grand essence that the Academy would appreciate? Availability-wise, all of the documentary shorts are available in some form on some platform for free. A lot are on Netflix, some are on YouTube. I did pretty well there. I have a few favorites of mine. Yeah, so I guess since Bennett and I haven't seen them, I'm wondering like what is bad about these nominations? I think just some of the snubs. When they listed the animated shorts, I was like, okay, I know what they want to say first. And they said Burrow, which totally threw me off. They picked the Disney Pixar short that wasn't out. And that is really frustrating. And then with some of the live action ones as well, I had expected different choices. I didn't like some of them. We can go into the letter room once we talk about this on our contender series. But in terms of big actors, which don't necessarily show up here, and they don't either show preference for having Tilda and then Oscar Isaac and Alia Shawkat with an inferior story, in my opinion, or at least a story that their performances deserved more from. That was just where it was really bad to me and disappointing. I know these aren't necessarily the first films that people go and like, oh, I'm going to go to the theater and watch the collection of short films nominated for the Oscar. But I think that they should have a separate collection of the ones not nominated this year because they are noteworthy. And it's just sad that they're not going to experience the audience that I feel like they deserve. So another big miss was Delroy Lindo in Best Actor. I mean, he didn't have any precursors besides Critics' Choice. So it was a little predictable. But I know, Nick, you had hope. This was a great performance and... I guess I just couldn't imagine someone looking at their ballot and not picking him. And then thinking of Netflix and their strategy and just pushing the Five Bloods to the side. Its only nomination was in score, which was super surprising to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have it getting any, but that was not the place I expected it to maybe pick up one. It's interesting to think about Netflix's place in all of this and where they choose to put their dollars for campaigns. Yeah, I had hoped until the very last minute that there was a possibility for Delroy. And I think he is, at least for me, the biggest snub of any nomination announced today. And then what you said about Netflix's campaigning and marketing, I think that'll be really interesting to see like if they really fight for Amanda or what technicals they really go for and if it pays off this year or if it doesn't like last year. And I think a big one here that didn't do as well 
as maybe we had expected, but not wanted it to do well. So I think it's fine is Trial of Chicago 7. Yeah, Chicago 7, I think what disturbed me most about this was that it showed up in good categories, like editing and cinematography. Yes, Hear My Voice showed up in Best Original Song, but I think, you know, if we compare it to Mank, like Mank had these nominations in costume design and makeup and hairstyling, but Chicago 7 got really good things like screenplay and editing and cinematography. Those are big deals, and we we can't ignore it. I think that Nomadland, while it's kind of out front, I think Chicago 7 still has some good ones lined up, and I'm curious what Netflix will do. Yeah, this is definitely in the bad category. At least it didn't get more craft mm-hmm. nominations that I think it could have. Some places like production design, something that it could have gotten in, and, and some more just kind of the scale of the film, I think, lends itself to potential a lot of craft nominations that it luckily didn't get some of the others, so at least its tally was capped. But yeah, the six is too much. I did want to, Nick, I'm curious about your feelings of Trial of the Chicago 7, because when you first watched it, you put a solid four and a half stars on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. On Letterboxd. Really? And I don't know, I know we all have different rubrics for ratings and things like that, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious if one, I can call you out and two, you can defend yourself. (laughs) How did this tune change about your, your opinion of it? So I did give this a four and a half and my reasoning, which I've definitely said on some previous pod, I don't remember which, but was like, oh, I was really into it. I kind of disregarded some of the wild script references, mentioning getting an Academy Award as like Sorkian in nature and like whatever, it's fine, keep going because there was good intensity and thrill. I watched it again, I gave it a four, I did downgrade because I do think the editing and other elements, they are good and certain performances are well done. But this also came before I saw Mangrove. And Mangrove is 100% Mm -hmm. the better version of this film that I did give a five. So my rating system is not flawed. Just maybe my (laughs) mind was when I first saw Trial. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. Kind of putting it in contrast to what it could have been, should have been, maybe showing a lot more of the flaws that you've... A little bit, yeah. Okay, that's fair. And obviously, a lot of people loved it, even people not in the Academy. Right. So it's a crowd pleaser. I think my thing with Chicago 7 is that this year, I just don't have any movies that I'm like angry are nominated. And every other year, I have films where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how did this movie get so many nominations? And to me, Trial of the Chicago 7 is just kind of like, basic i mean there are certain elements to it that are bad definitely i personally don't like the editing i think it's very by the numbers and choppy but i feel like it's kind of harmless compared to some of the ones we've had in the past like green book or bohemian rhapsody that i was just like i can't be here i can't watch this anymore It's not a good film, and to me, it's the weakest of the bunch, even though it's mm-hmm. kind of out front, but it's not its not a big villain to me, as Hunter Harris would say. 
Okay, so let's move into the chaotic. The first category being best supporting actor. I think it's safe to say none of us were five for five on. I don't think anyone in the world was five for five. (laughs) It really was that fifth spot. I made it four for four. I was like, okay, who's it going to be? Just waiting to see and absolutely did not expect Lakeith Stanfield to be there. When we were at that point, we passed over Alan Kim. And I was like, okay, that's not happening. We pass over Jared Leto. Yay, great. Don't have to worry about that anymore. And so then I was like, oh my God, David Strathairn. It's happening. This Mm. is what it is. I would love that. And it was not. Lakeith Stanfield is an amazing actor. Warner Brothers just didn't run him in supporting which is why I think it's in the chaotic category for us. For sure. Yeah, that the two leads of Judas and the Black Messiah are both nominated in Best Supporting Actor. I'm okay with the larger ensemble having all of their actors end up in the supporting conversation. But to have two clear leads, two titular roles both end up in supporting one of which like you're saying wasn't even campaigned there i don't know how where was the swell of people deciding to vote for lakeith in supporting you know there there wasn't even a narrative of saying that he even though warner brothers is campaigning him in lead he's definitely supporting so let's all vote in supporting I'm thinking of like keisha castle hughes for the whale rider mm-hmm. who was pushed in supporting even though it's the clear lead of her film and even though she was campaigned as supporting this back in the early aughts, the Academy nominated her in, rightfully in lead. It's kind of like the classic example of the Academy writing the wrongs of a campaign for category fraud. But this is the opposite, where there, there was no need for category fraud here. There was already category fraud with Daniel Kaluuya in supporting. <laughs> I am okay turning a blind eye to that, but I don't know if it is better or worse that they're both in supporting now because that's is it double category fraud or is it okay because now they're on the same playing field i lean towards double category fraud according to matthew stewart who calculates how much an actor is in each film going back in history and talking about category fraud he stated that Lakeith is in the movie for 49 minutes at almost 40%, and then Daniel is in the movie for 46 minutes at under 37%. So is it like being under 50% means you're supporting? I know that's not the case. Confusion. I think the Academy has a bigger problem here, which is that Black actors never get nominated in lead categories. Like It rarely happens. Most of the nominations for Black actors and actresses are in the supporting categories. And that's where most of the wins come from, too. So if you think of, like, Mahershala Ali, he has two Oscars. Both of those are for Best Supporting Actor. So I feel like the Academy has a real problem here, and they relegate Black actors to the supporting categories. And I would love to know how this happened with both of them getting there, especially Lakeith, because he wasn't campaigned there. And I know that's a troubling reason, but based on the past, that's what I would guess. I know you'll definitely get into it more in the Contender series, but I wonder now if having Lakeith in the category is going to be detrimental at all to Daniel Kaluuya's campaign. If there's any threat of splitting the vote now that Lakeith is there to siphon away Hmm. the Judas voters or anything like that. I think that's a conversation that no one thought we would be having, but 
maybe put a pin in that for later <laughs> stay tuned i'm scared i mean part of me like wonders sometimes if vote splitting is a thing that actually happens consistently or if some performances are so strong that it just becomes kind of a myth and i have to say now i am a little more worried for daniel especially because i think the shock of the lakeith appearance in this category definitely creates a narrative and creates buzz for both of them but now definitely for lakeith a little bit more maybe so even with daniel's previous wins so i'm very curious to see what will happen in this category another big surprise that we put in the chaos category is mank missing best original screenplay for a as we mentioned earlier a nomination leader far and away leader with picture and directing nominations and a real narrative behind its screenplay written by jack fincher david fincher's father Uh, he wrote it before he passed and there was a real kind of story behind the writing of this film and how it led to the film's creation and why it was such a personal project for David Fincher that It Missing was a big surprise. I think it was one of the front runners in the category. Maybe Sorkin now just sails to the wind, but I think for me that was my biggest surprise, at least the biggest surprise omission of the day. And I think if I were David Fincher, out of all the nominations for a movie that I made, I would want the one to be for my late father. And I feel like that has to be so heartbreaking to see this not happen. And it's definitely had other nominations through the season, but there's some, like it wasn't eligible for WGA. So there, there are fewer awards to fall back on, you know, even as, as a compensation for it. This one made me really sad. Again, as the, the bank person, I, I really like the script and I feel that David Fincher never makes sentimental movies like this or movies that aren't these like dark thrillers about these really disturbed characters. And this was a movie that was different than anything he's ever made before. And I mean, a huge part of that is because the script was his dad's and he set out to make this as this passion project for his dad. And I watched the interview with him and Ben Affleck that I highly recommend the directors on directors, which is hilarious also because of Ben Affleck and Argo and that notorious Oscar morning miss. But he talks about how he had to, you know, rein in his dad's script, how he added so many of those little like flourishes of the characters introducing themselves to each other so that we would find out who they are, like in the writer's room and things like that and how it was this really important project for him. So I completely agree I was very surprised and saddened to see its miss. So I think a chaotic category is definitely international feature. Some films popped up that at least I didn't expect here. I think that we just had Collective, which made another appearance that you'll talk about soon, Quo Vadis Aida, which I still need to see, and Another Round. So neither of us predicted Better Days or The Man Who Sold His Skin, but now I'm really excited to watch these. The reason I think it might be chaotic is because across the predictions that I read, I didn't see any other prognosticators or pundits picking these five. And I also think that with the Vinterberg nomination in director that came up, 
this gives another round a big boost in this category. And I maybe thought it was a little tighter before mm-hmm. these nominations came out this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have been big proponents for Collective, and I still will be. I, and this doesn't mean much now, but I almost put The Man Who Sold His Skin in last night. I thought, ooh, this could be a very Academy move. I have seen it, and it's good. You know, I think we've also talked about how there are a lot of good picks here and in documentary. Mm -hmm. It's just maybe more surprising because, like you had mentioned last time, how Dear Comrades was on other cinematography lists and other guilds lists, and in potentially following in the footsteps of Ida or Cold War, it is beautiful to watch. International film, I think, was hard to predict, largely because of the lack of film festivals last year. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I thought. I think in my kind of watch list for the year, I had far fewer films outside of the U.S. and outside of the English language that were kind of put in front of me with a lot of reviews and a lot of, like, this is the big breakout of this fest. And I feel like at Cannes or some of these smaller European fests is where I think we get a lot of the non-English language features to kind of watch out for the year. So it was, other than maybe the three of them, I think it was really kind of random for the rest of them of who might get in. And obviously like the two better days and the man who sold his skin were just the two who made it in. So I'm excited to see them. I am happy that the documentary short about the Hong Kong protests got in. It's called Do Not Split. Recommend that. Again, it's free. But more importantly, in this category, Tunisia and Romania both had their first nominations, which is really exciting. Especially with Romania and the past 10 or 10 to 20 years of the Romanian new wave coming through and a lot of great films coming out of Romania that have, I think, made the shortlist a few times, but never made it to the actual nomination list. So this is really exciting. Another chaotic category we've been discussing a lot on the pod is documentary feature. I did terribly here this morning. (laughs) I think it was also difficult because at a lot of different ceremonies, five different pictures were chosen. So Mm -hmm. many of them had previous accolades. Many of them had really important nominations at other guild ceremonies. So it was hard to really say which would finally make it. I'm just surprised the emotional picture about an octopus forming a relationship with a human and then this like lighter 80-year-old Bond mystery infiltrating a nursing home got in as nominees. I was so scared that time would miss because time was my favorite doc of the year and that sometimes happens. But I thought time and Crip Camp might miss because usually they don't like archival footage in this category. So I was like, oh, maybe those will be out. Also, my octopus teacher, I know I put in my predictions, but at the last minute I thought, oh wait, they also don't really like animals. They really don't like animal Mm. docs. Maybe I should take this out. But all three of them, here they are. Another surprising thing is that neither All In, The Fight for Democracy, or Boys State got in. Both of the American political Mm -hmm. films. Also, 76 Days, the one COVID film didn't make it. 
So trying to understand where these voters were making decisions, I just can't put my finger on it. I think the recent trend in documentary feature has been a mix of both getting pretty experimental with kind of artful documentaries that are not there to please a crowd and not following a typical talking head structure. Recently, I'm thinking things like Hale County This Morning This Evening, I think Honeyland 2 was uh, just like an otter picture for them to to choose. That kind of combined with very like simple crowd pleasing, <laughs> like it, just the two ends of the spectrum. I'm thinking like RBG, 12 Feet from Stardom. So this year I, I can see the split in collective and time being the more more artful, more kind of just less ordinary type of documentary that might get in. I know we're saying that time counts as kind of archival footage, but it's, I don't think it's used in the way that we mm-hmm. see most archival footage like Crip Camp and The Mole Agent and My Octopus Teacher. Um, definitely the, the Mole Agent and My Octopus Teacher maybe being nice, pleasant sits. I have not watched My Octopus Teacher. I suppose I will. But I know it's supposed to be pretty emotional. I did love The Mole Agent. It's small. I don't think it... I think there are documentaries that should have gotten more that are more deserving of the nomination, but it's really small and really cute. So I, I'm not upset about that one. But so I, all in all, I think maybe going into it, I had predicted that with such a great shortlist of 15 films that we were going to skew into the critically heralded, more artful films. Like, you know, let's get Dick Johnson is dead in there. Let's get Welcome to Chechnya in there. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really consider that they maybe would want to add some lighter fare into their while well, they're watching things during a pandemic and during a fraught political time so i guess i'll watch i'll like cry to an octopus or whatever it we're supposed to do i did end up liking it and i really really resisted so i need to watch the mole agent still i know we've also talked about before how this category the membership has become more international over the years So that definitely makes sense, I think, with the addition of the mole agent there. So no welcome to Chechnya at all. It was either going to be here or in visual effects. And it's also really disappointing not to be in visual effects because it has such an important role in that film Mm -hmm. and has just wider implications for what's going on in that country and in the message that the film is trying to say. So that was another big shock and disappointment for me. I mean, I had Welcome to Chechnya in both categories. I I really thought it was going to get in in both places, and I'm disappointed that it didn't. So I think now, just to wrap up, let's talk about Best Picture. We got eight nominees. What do you guys think about this collection as our group of Best Picture nominees? I think it's a good group. I, again, could have expected anywhere from seven to ten of these top scores this morning. So the biggest shockers didn't have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or One Night in Miami. But I had inklings of thinking like, oh, are there going to be enough people saying this is the number one movie of the year and putting Mm -hmm. it at one, two or three in their top five. And that did kind of scare me. I think it's just mostly disappointing because Regina's not there and this film isn't there. But some incredible films. I'm shocked Promising a Woman is there. Or at least the me of October 2020 would be extremely shocked. But we will definitely get into more of this 
on our contenders pod for the ones that have made it and their possibilities. With Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami, I think we agreed that they're definitely the surprising misses of the ones that were left off. The three of us were texting over the weekend before nominations and saying just just what you were saying, Nick, that especially with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that we know there's a lot of respect for it. Mm -hmm. And it got five nominations. So there was obviously a lot of goodwill towards it and had been in the conversation for so long. But were there going to be those people putting it as their number one? Were we hearing the love? And I think by Mm -hmm. extension, One Night in Miami similarly came out the gate as, oh, this is a great movie. Good job, Regina. It has great stuff in it, but it was never on any lists of winning anything, maybe, mm-hmm. as it goes along. I think one thing that is unfortunate is looking at the SAG lineup, which we lo- when we looked at the SAG lineup, it was great how their four of the five Best Ensemble nominees are ensembles of people of color, three of them being predominantly Black ensembles, and those three films missed Best Picture today. That I think a large part of the conversation with Best Picture that I saw was how Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, To Five Bloods, and then later in the game, Judas and the Black Messiah, were Black-led films with predominantly Black casts, and how great it was that they were part of the awards conversation that we might have this many films getting nominated for Best Picture. So I think there are some, some trends like that like Sophia, you were mentioning before of the black actors getting relegated to the supporting categories a lot. We didn't have any black directors get into best director. And then most of the films centered on black stories missed best picture that people thought would make it in. I expect that to be a kind of a a topic of conversation going forward and maybe, maybe to figure out uh, how, how that happened. Cause I don't think that was expected. And especially after SAG, I think seeing the nominations there led us to believe that those, at least a good portion of them would appear in Best Picture. And then when they didn't, of course, you know, it it is a little shocking to see. I hope that next year when we have 10, when we have the fully expanded field, that'll provide more opportunities, hopefully, for those films to get in without this weird voting system that they have. Looking at this collection of films, I will say this is the first year in a while where there isn't a single film that I've given five stars to. And Mm. it's not that I give like every film five stars or anything like that, but like just looking at these, I don't see a lot of passion for hardly any of them. I think that each of these has its fans, but overall, to me, it's just, it's a good group of films, but. They're, they're kind of in the middle for me, most of them. I liked a lot of them, but there isn't one this year like Parasite or Yes for Me last year, The Irishman, where I'm like, I love this movie so much. I want all of these people to win for this film. I think in terms of front runner, really it's just what has been winning so far this season. Mm-hmm. And that's where my decision making comes from, not from, oh, I really 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 love this one movie and i think it should win because i do like most of these but i guess compared to last year like 1917 was winning nearly everything but parasite had so much passion behind it and that is not happening this year like nomadland it's a great film i love it we talked about it on our episode how much i love it but i can't see people being obsessed with the trial of chicago 7 enough to get it over that line to beat nomadland knock on wood (laughs) 
So for me, this is actually my lowest average rating for the best picture lineup in at least the past few years. I think there aren't as many films that I hate on it as there have been in the past. But like we were saying, I like a lot of these films and some I have a great amount of respect for, but I don't love any of these. Um, I, I don't have high ratings for most of them. So just looking uh, on average, like usually it kind of spans the, you know, the range of favorite film of the year or close to it. And then near the bottom, I think this is a case, a lot of middling and under middling for me. I'm a little more down on this list on average than I think you guys are, but it's okay. It was, I think the pandemic here, I wasn't expecting it to be five stars across the board. So I'm excited to return to all of these. Like I normally do, I rewatch all of them once they come out. So I'm excited to see if there are any that I change my tune on or that I love even more on rewatch. Yeah, same. So just looking back overall at how we did, Sophia, you did the best with 75%. Thank you. (laughs) I had like 74.6%, so (laughs) narrowly, but... Hey, (laughs) now. I still won. Right. And then Bennett, you were at 71%. So I think of all the years, I think this is fine. I'm nervous because I'm usually better at nominations than I am at winning, like the actual (laughs) Oscars. So who knows what this means for my score for those. (laughs) I was going to say, I hope happy with my 75% today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I put a lot of research into into figuring out these predictions and going off of history. Mm -hmm. And clearly I need to go back and look at some of that again and figure out to fine tune my process for next year. So next up awards wise, we have the WGA, which will be this Sunday, March 21st. We have the PGA, which will be next Wednesday, the 24th. And then we have other guilds handing out their awards every week until we finally get the Oscars on Sunday, April 25th. Next time on Oscar Wilde for our contender series we will be talking all about all of the sound categories that includes best original score best original song and best sound and we'll also be talking about best costume design and best makeup and hairstyling so we'll be going into all those nominees in each category and what that could mean for the oscars i can't wait and thank you bennett for coming back for another episode you're not done for this season yet, so we will see you again, but we love having you here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to go uh, watch My Octopus Teacher now and finally understand what it's all about. During your acupuncture um, appointment. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you think it would be nice and relaxing? What a combination. <laughs> Honestly, kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's a little soothing. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Stay safe and wear your masks. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Stay safe and wear your masks.